The first step in the revolution by the working class is to raise the proletariat to the position of ruling class, to win the battle of democracy. The proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest, by degree, all capital from the bourgeoisie and to increase the total productive forces as rapidly as possible. These measures will, of course, be different in different countries. Nevertheless, in most advanced countries, the following ten points will be pretty generally applicable. 1. Abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. 2. A heavy progressive or graduated income tax. 3. Abolition of all rights of inheritance. 4. Confiscation of the property of all emigrants and rebels. 5. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. 6. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. 7. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state the bringing into cultivation of wastelands, and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. 8. Equal liability of all to work. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. 9. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. Gradual abolition of all the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the populace over the country. 10. Free education for all children in public schools. Abolition of children's factory labor in its present form. Combination of education with industrial production, etc., etc. When, in the course of development, class distinctions have disappeared and all production has been concentrated in the hands of a vast association of the whole nation, the public power will lose its political character. Political power, properly so called, is merely the organized power of one class for oppressing another. If the proletariat during its contest with the bourgeoisie is compelled by the force of circumstances to organize itself as a class, if by means of a revolution it makes itself the ruling class and as such sweeps away by force the old conditions of production, then it will, along with these conditions, have swept away the conditions for the existence of class antagonisms and of classes generally, and will thereby have abolished its own supremacy as a class. In place of the old bourgeois society, with its classes and class antagonisms, we shall have an association in which the free development of each is the condition for the free development of all. All right, so special treat. It's always a special treat. This time we have Tony with us, Tony and Chad. Hey, guys. Hey, Daniel. Hi. How y'all doing? We're doing good. Nice, nice. I see Chet's uh, taking furious notes over here. Oh, am I supposed to be answering that question, too? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Nice, nice. <laughs> 
so today we're going to talk about uh, Carl's 10 points, Carl's 10-point program, 10 steps. Any general reflections uh, straight out of the gate? Well, I think it's important. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have a reflection straight out of the gate. Please. And the reflection is that uh, I think it's important to put this in context historically by saying that this was published, I believe, in 1848. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, Europe was going through a cycle of uh, revolutions trying to rid itself of the uh, the feudal leftovers from uh, from feudalism and trying to uh, establish uh, bourgeois-dominated uh, uh, governments. Um, the bourgeoisie, the ruling class, the capitalists, young capitalist class, uh, sometimes joined with the middle class, the petite bourgeoisie, and sometimes even uh, in, tried to enlist uh, worker participation in these revolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the revolutions that I'm aware of succeeded. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it was you know, catastrophic I, I, failure across the board. Yeah, and uh, you know, Marx talks about this later on, and, and pretty much blames uh, some of the alliances that the working class um, found itself in during the course of these revolutions, sometimes with uh, the petite bourgeoisie, sometimes with the bourgeoisie itself. And in every single case was betrayed by that other class. So I I just think, you know, putting that context out there uh, helps listeners to, uh, to understand uh, the 10 points and how they're embedded in the times. Mm -hmm. Um, The fight against feudalism was still ongoing at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you, take a look at something like abolition of property and land Mm -hmm. and uh, radical today and certainly radical back then uh, when in some Western European countries, the nobility still owned Mm -hmm. most of the land. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that was the radical phase. Yeah. All right. That was, yeah, that indeed, that was still the radical phase of development of capitalism, the sort of progressive, you know, the the liberal Republicans were developing the productive forces and so forth. Chet, what do you, what do you got on him? Oh, it's. Uh, I mean, this would this would take us in a completely different direction. So first, in the, I, first on the sort of general level, because well, let's just go through these one by one, because I think each one is just wow, wow, Bob, wow. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I well, if you abolish if you abolish property, let's take the first one: abolition of property and land and the application of all rents of land to public purposes. Um, This can be interpreted as setting up the state as the number one and only landlord in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you, it's not stated there in terms of public purposes, Mm -hmm. but in order to take the rents and apply them to public purposes, uh, I think there's an assumption that a central authority would have to do that. Mm-hmm. That uh, uh, first of all, all of the landed estates of the nobility, mm-hmm. all of the landed estates um, of anyone owning large pieces of land, that all goes away. The uh, the government, mm-hmm. the central power, mm-hmm. uh, the unnamed power here, uh, owns all that land, mm-hmm. and it uh, owns it in. Uh, for the for the people, 
for the working class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's an assumption that the working class is going to be in power. The working class is going to abolish all landed property. Mm -hmm. And the working class will then collect all of the rents mm -hmm. that normally would have gone mm -hmm. to landowners. Mm -hmm. And the working class will decide how to um, distribute these rents, redistribute these rents uh, for public policy. Uh, for uh, public purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, supposing supposing the working class could to win the state as a sort of apparatus with which to do what it, it needs. Um, but uh, just so if Chet's going to be shy, I'll just jump in there with a sort of general... I, mean, I can talk. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're a big boy, talk. But I mean, well... Um, At the general level, we're going to go I, through these. Yeah, I was going to... Well, I guess I have, I have a general question that might be considered provocative because this mm. is an argument that we mm -hmm. have a lot back and forth. Um you you insist that Marx and Engels have never provided any such thing, but is this not a recipe for the cook shop of the future? See, I don't think this is a recipe for the cook shop of the future. I, I mean, seems pretty specific. Well, these these I think these are a these are a list of um, uh, political blows to be dealt to the political opponent of the working class, and and so like. You know, what are we going to do? What do we want to gain? What what's how do we go forward? Well, it's remarkable. I mean, I think you look at this list, it's all political economy, every bit of it. There's not an ounce of culture. And it's interesting, you know, compare it to what people who call themselves leftists or socialists today say. You know, this is I, I wish people would talk like this because, you know, respect is cheap and uh, you know, you know, managerial training sessions for the workplace, all this kind of stuff doesn't cost the capitalists that much. In fact, it's coming out of our our the funds that workers generate for capitalists. I mean, these these points that are named are all uh, gains for the working class on the one hand and on the other hand, simultaneously blows against the capitalist class taking away their power. So I don't see this so much as a plan for an ideal society of the future or utopia. Rather, I see it as... Um, a plan for action, what to do, where to strike first. And it's interesting which one he picks first, but what do you say to that? Well, yeah, I say, um, don't, I mean, uh, devil's advocate, don't be so hard on the leftists. They would, they, they can't stop talking about number one. Um, they're all about number two. My God, they love number three. They can't stop tweeting about sure, number some, three. Some of these, um, some of these, uh, let's see. Yeah, what but that's, that's when they're not totally involved on, um, sexism, uh, abolishing you know, the police, you know, all of the other political potpourri uh, that has nothing to do with political economy and has nothing to do with uh, how do we get a mm -hmm. revolution accomplished mm -hmm. and how do we become the ruling class and what do we do with the ruling class? I guess just to oh, restate it, like these are all actions, which if one, you know, it's like a coin, a coin has two sides. And on the one mm -hmm. side, it's a gain for the working class a victory for the working class, but it doesn't just make life nicer for the working class. Cause on the other, the other side of the coin is a defeat. It takes away capital and therefore power from the opponent of the working class. So it's a progressive, um, it's, it's, it's like a 10 step plan to d disarming the opponent. It seems to me. And what still not convinced what, I mean, there are things in here that people still talk. I mean, look at the last one. It's like, you know, no child labor education for kids. I mean, today that's pretty pedestrian. So, you know, you might Whoa. be a communist. Um, you might be a communist. However, however, if I could jump in there, um, Daniel, 
it's pedestrian in the advanced capitalist countries. Sure. It, it is not pedestrian when we take a look at the working class as a global transnational class. You better speak there, up, Jen. Yeah. What? There, there is child labor going on even as we speak. As a matter of fact, it's possible that the shirts you're wearing right now were per, uh, produced mm-hmm. by child laborers in mm-hmm. classic sweat factories mm-hmm. that burn down every six months. But yeah, I just mean by that that every well-meaning liberal would probably agree with that. With that. But anyways, Chet, say your piece. What's the deal? Oh, I, I don't wait. I, I don't know what 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 was what was my previous piece. I don't know. It's in your head. You gotta. Uh, what did I ask? What was my original question? Isn't this a cook recipe for the cook shop? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see this. They're 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 describing what a communist society will look like. I don't think that. See, that's what I did. I don't that's think what I did. that's what it is. Either. Right. Okay. I don't either. I think okay. this is like, what do we do first? Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Second, we do. It's like, oh, like like a like a step for action. Right. It's 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 like a plan mm-hmm. for action rather than, and I mean, you could read it that yeah, way. I, I think there because, are some because yeah. if you like. You could read it that way. You could say, for instance, you read these all negatively and you say like, okay, so the converse of every principle here, this kind of society we want is a society in which there aren't rentiers and landlords, parasites living off. Okay. Mm -hmm. The society in which we live is one where we want a central bank, which is democratically controlled and everyone is access credit. The kind of society we live is one where, and so on and so on and so forth. But I think what it's actually saying is like, do this. Don't, don't, you know, like the Jacobins tried to change the calendar and abolish Christianity and have the, the right. religion of the Supreme being. I mean, that's crazy. That's still, is per, that's still happening. That radical leftism. It's like, let's abolish yeah. Christianity. Let's abolish the, let's abolish gender. Yeah. I can, I can, I can see that argument for like, um, I don't know, like num- number two, for example, uh, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. That's an action. You you go do this. You you put it into law. You use the force of the of the state. Of, you use right. the force of the ruling class to implement mm-hmm. this. But like, well, by the time you get to number ten, we've already encountered problems where this is this is just this is just a it's a cook shop recipe. No, and I don't it's think what's so. wonderful. But in in in, in no, because in, in 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 what I suppose communism would be, there wouldn't be taxes, right? This is only something that applies in a transition from capitalism uh, to socialism. Yeah, what what the Soviets called socialism. Okay, so I wasn't being precise. I wasn't being precise with my terms. Uh, socialism. I mean, when not the te- communism. Let's say when the technical capacities are so immense that what is it? Marx says labor is man's principal want. Like we don't work in order to live, but you know the productive forces are so just beyond what we can imagine. Mm-hmm. Post scarcity and so forth. I mean, taxation wouldn't really make any sense anymore, right? And well, the, as classes dis- disappear, then taxation would disappear also. I presumably. Mean, uh, presumably, yes. Um, you know, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. That's communism. Um, from each according to how much you work. Socialism. That's socialism. So, you know, I think they're not laying out a recipe for socialism or communism. They're laying out a recipe for how do we get our society to the point where we can start implementing socialism? Mm -hmm. How do we transition from the society we're looking at right now with immense privileges for the nobility in Mm -hmm. some states, Mm -hmm. immense privileges for the capitalists, and uh, the working class getting to 
crap beat out of them on a daily basis. How do we get from that society to one that has the potential to implement socialism and to do that correctly, that then has the potential to transition to communism? So I don't see it as a, a blueprint for socialism, and I don't see it as a blueprint for getting to communism. I see it as a blueprint for getting to a, a political and economic point that allows us to explore socialism and how we implement it. I think I, I think I found my my intellectual problem. What I'm what I'm trying to struggle with because I think that the the political situation in the U.S. currently. Mm-hmm is so uh, dire mm-hmm. that these, as I read these 10 points, I can only read them in like a what if utopian kind of way. Mm. These don't, these, I, I struggle to read these mm-hmm. as sort of, uh, what did you call them? Action items? Like point, Yeah, basically. Yeah. I struggled because it's like. Like what should we be arguing for? What should we be arguing for? Should we be arguing for, I mean, what's a big slogan? What's a, what's one on the left one? Um, Abolish the police. Or like Medicare for all, for instance. Like this is something people argue for. Should uh-huh. we be arguing for that? I mean, I'd say yeah, because I think actually it's very close to this. But just on a very like staying on the general level, I want to add also the historical context. It seems to me what's remarkable about these things couched as they are in political economy. You know, he's talking Marx angles are talking about socialism, communism, so on and so forth. But it's really important to note, like if you read Adam Smith, you read David Ricardo, this is in deep continuity with the trends in their thought because capitalist development was, as you said, a struggle against feudal landlords, rentiers, absentee owners who just parasitically absorb um, through passive income the revenue generated by labor and they don't produce anything. And we, in financialized late, you know, financialized neoliberal capitalism, we're in a similar situation with rentiers. It's the revenge of feudalism almost. And I think it's interesting, you know, Marx is, Marx, this isn't even necessarily socialism. This could be a plan for capitalism the way that um, Ricardo and Smith imagined, like namely, you have got to get rid of these rentiers because every there are 100 cents on every dollar and every cent more you pay for interest or fees or rent is, an, is, a, is a cent less that you can invest in production and profit even isn't meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be invested, reinvested to develop the productive forces. And so... You know, this is about socialism and so forth, but I mean, we shouldn't, we should indeed read it in the context. I mean, this is, this is just pure political economy of development. Yeah, it's interesting also to look at right-wing commentary on these 10 points, and there's plenty of it out there. While I was doing uh, some research to see if there was uh, commentary on, on the 10 points from the left, I, of course, came across uh, right-wing uh, uh, reactions to it. And, you know, this, this scares the shit out of them. Uh, there, are, there are guys there who are saying, we've already got 50% of this already implemented mm-hmm. in the United States. We're already going down the Marxist road. Mm-hmm. We've got to get rid of these Marxists. We've got to get rid of these leftists mm-hmm. because uh, otherwise they're going to implement the next 50% of this. So, you know, why are they reacting so, uh, so intensely? To Marx's 10 points. Well, I mean, now, they'll um, read that Marx says that kids should go to school and not work in factories. And then they think, well, shit, you know, if Marx says that, maybe maybe kids shouldn't go to school and they should work They in should factories. be in those factories. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> Get we're those Marxists. kids out of that classroom and let's put them on the assembly line. 
Well, step one already accomplished, but you don't want me to go there. Uh, what? That's what. That's what the uh, lockdowns and Zoom education was all about. Nice. Getting kids out of schools. You know, getting Google to take over our schools. Get them plugged in. Yep. Get those nice monopoly the, the, rents the, the going ne- from the uh-huh. pharmaceutical companies. The next step is going to be the revival of of uh, of uh, child labor. All right, guys. Okay, so. Uh, point one, abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Let's just go through these. So first, basically, let's get rid of natural monopolies and landlords and rents. That's so fascinating to me. That's like the top. That's like the first thing. And I think, yeah, I mean, get rid of the, get rid, like, could you imagine, like, if you didn't have to pay rent, that'd be $800 less that I pay my employer could pay me $800 less and invest that $800 in the development of, of uh, production. And my life would be the same because the $800 less I'm getting, I wouldn't need because I'm not paying rent. Or I could just have it and spend it on consumer goods and stimulate the economy. This is a capitalist argument. So- well, yeah, I mean, Marx, Marx and capital really comes down to there are three basic classes. Uh, there's the capitalist class, and there's the working class, and there's the landowning class. And the landowning class and the capitalist class have had a history of conflict, mm-hmm. you know, because of what Daniel is saying. The, the rentier and the, the landlord class is a constraint on developing the productive forces of society. Um, because that money does not get reinvested. It does not go back into the economy. It does not go back into uh, production or producing. It just goes right into the pockets of the landlords mm-hmm. and then goes into luxurious um, living. Or further speculative you know, real estate investment. Or speculative re- or stocks and bonds or, you know, um, the stupid uh, whatever uh, financial instruments caused the 2008 collapse. <laughs> Do- uh, you know, Dogecoin, so, Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think Marx is, is coming down. And, and yes, capitalists in some sense could see some of this as, as well, yeah, we, we finally give those landlords what for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they would still be nervous about it. But uh, maybe a capitalist would read that first one and say, well, thank God he's not talking about abolition of uh, the means of production. Mm-hmm. You, know, he, he, you don't even see that phrase mm-hmm. in the Communist Manifesto. That's correct. The longer uh, Comrade Biden continues to extend the, <laughs> the eviction moratorium, uh, is he helping us accomplish number one? Wittingly or unwittingly? Uh, does it matter? <laughs> well, you know he's a communist, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, if when all that back rent builds up and it it come, turns into debts that can't be paid, the question will be: um, Will they be canceled? Will they be forgiven through currency creation going to pay those so that the people are let off the hook to get, to um, absolve them from their their obligation? I mean, I don't know what will happen, but it seems like the debts are building up and eventually they won't be able to be paid. Um, is it a, is well, it Sam a, is going to have to pay, pay the landlords. So Q, or, QE for the or landlords. Or just say it's, or say everything's canceled. Um, that would be nice. I, that would be nice. I don't, I wouldn't hold my breath to wait for that. Um, I think, um, you know, print more money, 
and take care of uh, the back the backlog of debt by uh, by dealing directly with the landlords. Hey, landlords, here's a 56 page form you have to fill out in order to get your money. Mm-hmm. You know, fill out the form, send it in, and we'll send you a stimulus check for landlords. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Uncle Sam will. The government will pay off that debt because the markets would not be unable to uh, withstand uh, all of that additional debt mm-hmm. just piling up and with no chance of it being repaid. I think you would see the bond market go uh, right into the shitter. Um, or they'll make a payment plan for eternity so you can pay off your back rent until you're, until you're kaput. Oh, yeah, you could do that. You could do that. Yeah. You know, you know actually... Go for it, Chet. What was it? No, no, no. No, I, I was going to take us further off course, so uh, the redirect fi- the ship. The, you know what the physiocrats called the landowning class? I don't know what a physiocrat is. Doesn't matter. They called, okay. them, they called them the sterile class. Oh, no. I think... God, yeah, their Sterile class. No, it wasn't the landowners. It was actually the merchants, because they thought the... No, no. Fuck. I'm getting ahead he's, of he's working on it. He's the, working on the, it. The Buffering. manufacturers, because they thought that they just took agricultural products and changed the form. Uh-huh. So they were sterile. But I think Marx is saying that the landlords are sterile. Hmm. And, you know, the, 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 left, the left agenda is to, to sterilize everyone. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, un- that's literally true. <laughs> the unanswered question in number one is, how do we get all these rents for public purposes? How do we do that? Mm-hmm. Now, what mechanism do we have to put in place that would ensure all the rents that are now coming into some sort of government, I would assume? Uh, and, you know, how does that get redistributed? Mm-hmm. Who decides who gets what? You know, all of those kinds of uh, problems. Those are the that's the blueprint for socialism. And that's why Marx is not addressing it. He's saying get here mm-hmm. and then figure it out. However, right with with the uh, with the barrel of a gun. That's well, it. that's that's one, but I, I'm not a big one. I'm not a big fan of that one. Um, one thing. So one thought that occurs to me is this: um, there are there are like I've heard of laws where you know if you inhabit a space for what ninety days or whatever, you're you're considered the inhabitant, and then the owner of the land can no longer kick you out without going through some kind of legal procedure. So there are precedents for this sort of thing. The inhabitants confers rights. In is, this, is this what's called a, a quote-unquote squatter's rights? Maybe. I'm mm-hmm. not an anarchist, but I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm more of an expert in bird law myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just thinking you could imagine a situation where... You know, there was some sort of, I don't know, executive decree where, you know, wherever you've lived, if, if you can prove that you've lived in a place for 90 days, then you go to City Hall and you can receive, you can trade in your lease um, for a deed. And it's just a transfer, because the property rights is just paper. I mean, you just, now you own it and you don't pay anymore. Um, and then whatever you would pay would would go into the markets or I don't know what. I mean, problem, of course, is the Fifth Amendment, uh, which says you cannot expropriate land without due compensation. So it's right in the Constitution there. That's not going to not going to fly. This sort of reminds well, we'll get, Oh, sorry. We're going to get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> sort, of, sort of reminds me as a, a, a funny little aside. In, in the state of Indiana, if you uh, cohabitate with a woman for over seven years. For example. You, yes, you, 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 automatic, you automatically become married to her. Happened to my, happened to my boy from high school. Uh-huh. Uh, shout out to Mike. What's up, Mike? Okay. So are we good on um, 
uh, good on uh, the euthanasia of the rentier class, as Keynes put it, or sh- should, we, should we linger a little longer? Um, just another uh, observation on what you were saying, Daniel. Um, the Homestead Act essentially was that also. Go out west of the Mes- uh, Mississippi River. Precisely. Uh, squat on a couple of acres of land. And if the Native Americans don't kill you, and if disease doesn't kill you, mm-hmm. and if uh, you're still there, uh, you get to keep that land. And uh, for a paltry sum, I don't know, a dollar an acre or something like that. And uh, you know, that's essentially how the West was settled. Mm-hmm. Um, Transfer property so, rights, yeah. Yeah. So the property rights, you know, who had the property rights for the land west of the Mississippi in 1802? Six. Well, I guess that that would have been primitive accumulation, right? They're basically just yeah. they're just uh, just appropriating it by expropriating the inhabitants who didn't have a property system, I suppose. That's right. No, what Chet, Chet, the... Chet's smirking? What? I I was honestly just thinking about a TV show, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be Care more to share engaged. Which one? Care to share which one? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, one thought though is that the capitalists have turned into um, rentiers largely. And so, you know, this might just be a relic of industrial capitalism. It might might mean, this might mean abolishing uh, more than just landlords. But anywho, okay, number two. So I I think Elizabeth Warren was actually involved in penning this one. Um, (laughs) A heavy progressive or graduated income tax. What do you think, Chet? Uh. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, well yeah, the Elizabeth Warren joke. Yeah, this is what I was saying earlier. You know, mm-hmm. leftists—they're all about this. I told you she's a communist. But yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you say leftists are deviating from these, but this just sounds like a tweet thread from a, you know, Chapo adjacent blue check. Well, they, they, they stick with this, but I've never heard them actually talk about like we'll get to it later, but centralization of credit or, uh, or uh, abolition of rents. Centralization I mean, of credit. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get Where to do it. Where do you? If okay. it's a web of finance and banking and so forth. Okay. You're, devi- well, you're deviating Bernie from Sanders. the manifesto, comrade. Yeah. The key here is heavy. Heavy. Because we have a progressive tax system. Mm-hmm. It's just not heavy for the rich. Mm-hmm. It's not heavy for the capitalist class. Um, right now, I think it stands at 36, 37%. Mm. And most of uh, the top 1% can avoid that mm-hmm. and have avoided it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can give you a long laundry list of major transnational corporations who haven't paid mm-hmm. one cent of tax. Well, the, alone the, the mega oligarchs make all of their wealth through capital gains, actually. They don't mess yeah. with profits. I heard once Michael Hudson say, you know, the, 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 the real mega capitalists laugh at the idea of profits. They say profits are for poor people because, I mean, if you're going to make profits, that means you have to invest capital and make something. What a waste of right. time. Just buy an asset, wait a week, turn around, sell it. That's it. Yeah. What is the difference between profits and capital gains? Well, what is it? Capital gains? Capital gains is is an increase in your capital that you've made through investment. So uh, Real estate, I, principally. Yeah. It could be real estate. It could be uh, money that you invested in the stock market. It could be... Uh, a lot of different things, but essentially it gets back to buying and selling and it gets back to buying low and selling high. Right. So it's not productive. Oh. It's not productive. Well, I do that on, e- on my E-Trade app. Yeah. So and I- that's capital gains. 
Well, you you could get it. You don't have to pay taxes on the on the on the difference you make over and above the, what you lay out. I guess unless unless it crosses a certain certain threshold, correct? Right. Certain amount. Well, I don't know. My understanding was that it's pretty forgiving on capital gains. Oh, okay. I don't know. We should check the books, but I, I'm just I just I'm just a parrot of Michael Hudson. So yeah. By the way, uh, yeah, buy buy Alibaba right now. That's really? a, that's a buy. Mm-hmm. Jack Ma's back or what? No, Jack, he's, no, he's not. That's the point. Alibaba is at a, uh, a very low uh, price right now, but it is going to go back up. Is so this get, an insider tip? Get that before tip? it happens. Yeah, this is this is an insider yeah. tip. You check. Do you have anything for us on cryptocurrency? <laughs> mm, I don't. Well, yeah, my I just I just don't play the crypto game at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. myself. My son, uh, literally achieved a hundred and forty thousand dollar gain oh. using cryptocurrency damn. and then lost it all oh, oh that's the way it goes yeah yeah um i had yeah i had i had a bump like that with some other i like i said i've never invested in cryptocurrency but yeah i've had those um those like peak and valley moments when I, I knew I should have sold earlier. It's, it's really addictive. It's a lot of fun. Anybody, this, this podcast brought to you by E-Trade. Um, <laughs> uh, a few words from our sponsors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it, I don't know. It's, I, I don't, I don't play mobile games, but, uh, but that stuff is addictive. <clears throat> all right. So number three, abolition of all rights of inheritance. This is the kind of shit that like, this is the kind of, I remember growing up hearing AM radio, the, the Republican talking heads and talking about the death tax and all the kinds of crazy shit. So, so no inheritance, huh? That is a major, major blow to the capitalist class reproducing itself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, most of the top 1% uh, have, uh, gotten their start primarily through inheritance. Um, new money uh, usually doesn't make it up into there right away. But uh, if you have old money and it gets passed down, it uh, gives you that head start mm-hmm. uh, to staying in that top 1%. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I think this is in some ways uh, the most radical of the 10 points. Mm. Yeah, I mean, bless you, Chad. Um, oh, did, did that did that come up on the mic? Afraid so, but it's, oh. it's all good. You, you doing all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um, right. Oh. You can't have a you can't have a class persist through time historically if it doesn't pass its capital to its um, what do you call them? Um, progeny. Yeah, right. Progeny. So, I mean, those poor kids. What are they gonna do? Jesus, we don't think they'll get a job, do we? Well, I mean, okay, imagine, let's say you had a federal jobs program, you had um, no private cost education, no, and you had universal health care and all that sort of thing. I suppose, you know, you wouldn't really fall on hard times. Or That's assuming you made it through the revolution alive. Hmm. So yeah, is the is the idea with three to help? Because I because I hear, I hear this word thrown around a lot for your sort of blueprint for your socialist society. You're going to have much more of a, a real inaction uh, meritocracy. 
Um, you could spin it that way, right? Like you have to you have to go from the bottoms. That you can't go all straight to the top if you don't go from the very bottom. And so, or like Bill Gates said, he's going to give it away because his kids should earn their own wealth and shit. <laughs> but yeah, that, that I, I oh I didn't. When when did he say that? Twenty years ago, probably. Okay, yeah, because I, yeah, I, I wonder how that would actually play out in practice, even if he didn't you know pass I think on it the was Bill Gates one of them he still, he still has his connections and then immediately that's just gonna get I mean what I hear in this is that okay so what it, Mark says all over the place like capital isn't a private asset it's a social power so you know wealth is power and so if you want to if you want to win a political struggle gain power you have to remove the power from your opponent and so wealth destruction is actually power destruction and so the point of this is not to make the world correspond to an ideal society, but quite simply to disarm your opponent. Like, how are you going to get the power, which is to say the wealth, out of those hands? Well, you know, if it weren't for inheritance laws, it would just sort of end with each human individual, right? I mean, I can't see much else behind this. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting that uh, he placed number three right after number two, because in conjunction... Doesn't, doesn't three come after two, though? Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting that that's the order that he placed it in, in terms of the content, I got you, not I got in terms you. of the number. <laughs> but uh, um, because, you know, it's sort of like a dual blow mm-hmm. against the capitalist class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to tax you to death and we're going to get wealth out of your hands that way. But not only that, when you kick the bucket, you can't pass your wealth over to your kids. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to earn it the old-fashioned way. They're mm-hmm. going to have to work for it. Mm-hmm. The 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 virtue of what is it the the value of work or I don't know some self self reliance. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm-hmm. Protestant ethic. Mm-hmm. Do it your do it yourself. Do it your damn self. Okay, so. This fourth one strikes me, struck me as kind of strange. It sounds weird. Chet, would you uh, would you do the honors? Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. Um, number four, because I was gonna say I noticed uh, as I'm thinking back through this recording we've been doing. Sometimes I've been saying like number one, number nine, number seven, etc. Maybe you should just as an idea put these in the show notes sure as thing. well. Okay. Anyway. Uh, okay, because I, I have a question right off the bat about number four. Okay, what is it? Then? Number four, confiscation of the property of all uh, immigrants. Immigrants. That's E-M-I-G-R-A-N-T-S mm-hmm. and rebels. Um, and so does number four. Okay, number one, again, is abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Is number four not included under number one? Are Marx and Engels not guilty of redundancy here? Mm. You say well, they should have had a better editor. I, I think this is a direct result of the French Revolution. Mm. Okay. And when you take a look at the French Revolution, you had emigrants. Mm-hmm. people who left the country, right. primarily the nobility. And you had rebels, people who uh, rebelled against the uh, brand new uh, revolutionary government. And uh, I, I think Marx and Engels saw that, learned from it, and said, okay, if we have the revolution and you decide that you're going to leave with your money, take as much of your assets, make them liquid, and leave, mm-hmm. Um, only to try to come back as rebels or try to come back as an invading army or an invading force, we're going to confiscate everything you had, you leave behind. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you know, if you ever come back, none of it will be there for you. That's your 
uh, penalty for abandoning the country in, mm-hmm. in its time of need. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the French Revolution, that's exactly what happened. The nobility left. They went to visit the uh, brotherly and sisterly nobility in the other nations and said, hey, look, these people kicked us out. We don't have our mansions anymore. We don't have, uh, you know, all of this stuff. You got to help us get it back. And they all said, sure, let's uh, let's do that. So, you know, England, Prussia and Austria and Russia and all of those enlightened nations invaded France and uh, tried to restore the monarchy. Good people. Uh, so I think I think Engels and, and Marx are, are looking at that situation and saying, let's put this in, because uh, if they decide that they're going to leave, we're going to take everything that they own. Yeah. Seize the assets. Is it is it is it trying to deal with um, in sort of just just a brief bullet point kind of way so the deal with the problem of what we today call like a brain drain, like whenever there's a revolution, um, it is it's the class that had been previously deprived of the best education, the access to the gears of power, how things work, and the people who know best how to run a society because mm. they've been doing it for X amount of time. They're now uh, fleeing mm. and I- immigrating uh, EMI. Um, and so, so, so what do you, what do you do about that? I mean, that could be, that could be like the global dynamics of migration and stuff, but what the way I hear it nowadays, I think that's probably right. Your speculation, Tony, but the way I hear it nowadays would be like, imagine like uh, in the context of global capital and foreign investment, uh, like global financial markets and so forth. Let's say you're in, I don't know, like, uh, like French investments in Vietnam or American investments in um, Chile before during Salvador Allende. Uh, okay, you're talking like early 70s? Yeah, I just mean in any case where, you know, just imagine you're not an American in America, but imagine that America, for example, is doing foreign direct investment in your country. And so you have absentee owners of those real and financial assets. The point would just be like, well, you know, you're an absentee owner, you got these assets, we're going to seize your assets. Because what happens there is wealth extraction. They make profit, they extract the profit, they don't necessarily reinvest it. And so it's just sort of, you know, just like, it's like strip mining, but economic. And so you could say, well, actually, no, that's not, that's not, I mean, that's why they, that's why the Chile stuff happened the way that it did, because people were afraid say. of, people were afraid of protecting the American investments. So, yeah, I was going to say with that, with that, with, the, with those examples, this is where I get back to this all, uh, uh, just sounds so I like ideal idealistic because uh many different revolutionaries have tried this and almost 100 percent of them they just get got Mm -hmm. they just get domed Mm -hmm. um so Mm -hmm. i i don't know well Uh, you know to speak to your point chat um russia is a perfect example of this after the revolution Stalin uh, did not die of natural causes. <laughs> no, no. After the revolution, pre-Stalin, between the time of the revolution and the time Stalin took power, um, uh, Trotsky and, and Lenin had a problem. They had a problem in the sense that the proletariat was so small to begin with that when the capitalists flee the country and the technicians that knew how to run the factories mm-hmm. leave, mm-hmm. now what are we going to do? Well, not all of them left. There were plenty of people around who had military experience, plenty of people around who had the experience of how to run the factory. 
uh, they just didn't, uh, they weren't compatible with the politics of the Bolsheviks. So what did they do? They, uh, they utilized uh, political officers. So uh, from company level all the way up to army level, if you were uh, a captain in charge of a company of infantry in the Russian army, you had a political officer right by your elbow just to make sure that you did the right thing politically mm. because those captains and those officers primarily came from the uh, SARS armies. Uh, there's God, nowhere else to get them. The goddamn and political the correctness in, comes from Russia. Yeah. And same thing happened in the factories. Uh, you, you took a former capitalist or a former uh, technologist who knew how to run the machines and you put a political officer next to him and made sure that, you know, he ran them in a socialist way. So uh, that's one solution. Did it work? Well, well, I, I mean, if, if the czar's family leaves Russia, I mean, I think the idea is to take the, to seize the assets and so forth. I mean, you were, you were, that's, su- how, they got, that's how they got the Kremlin. <clears throat> and you were suggesting Chet that, that Stalin was assassinated because uh, he was just getting too carried away with uh, with um, expropriating those absentee owners. Um, oh uh, well, I, I'm just I'm just popping off with the hot takes. I, I need I need to read more on this. But no, I uh, um, there there are several theories out there that says that uh, the U.S. Uh, inf- successfully infiltrated and was able to. Uh, uh, assassinate Stalin, make it look like uh, uh, what was the official cause of death? A brain, brain hemorrhage. Could be. Uh, yeah. I mean, somebody told me recently that Trotsky and Lenin were actually getting bankrolled by American financiers. I told you that. That's a, that's an old book. Thank you, uh, and an and American economist. I have. Like the capitalists, yeah, you, you put me on the spot. That's a good one. Yeah, the but, capitalists uh, well, wanted to get rid of the feudal bull, monarchy. Yeah, the book's called. It's I think it's from the '60s or earlier. I forget the name of the economist. Um, Wall Street and the Bolsheviks. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and Sun Yat-sen, you know, he came he came here to Chicago to fundraise to overthrow the Qing uh, uh, dynasty. To I, I think it's pronounced Im- King. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ford Ford built factories in Russia after the revolution. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There were yeah uh, yeah capitalists uh, in in America wanted wanted the czar gone and it was a it was a what was it call it a, a brief marriage of convenience mm-hmm. that 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 quickly went south before we invaded them I think it was twenty one thousand American troops into Russia well this yeah. is this I mean yeah 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 so like yeah and at this simultaneously yeah the U S government and and U uh, S capitalists are funding uh, the the other side of the Russian Civil War crazy yeah all right so. Okay, I think that one has been sort of um, squeezed dry. Um, five, centralization of credit in the hands of the state. <laughs> oh, there's state, that word credit. Uh, by means of a national bank with state capital and exclusive monopoly. I suppose that means an exclusive monopoly on, on financial um, instruments and to make money a sort of uh, public utility, this sort of thing. crickets was there a question there well i don't know i mean yeah tony what do they mean by uh within this point uh by exclusive monopoly well i i the way i take that is that you would have no private credit creation 
So credit would be a public utility administered by a central democratically controlled, uh, even like a central bank. I mean, back then banks issued their own money. I mean, nowadays, arguably, there is endogenous credit. There is endogenous credit creation. Banks create money through creating loans. But um, I think the idea is would just be that you know you don't have private financiers in- issuing their own notes. You don't have individual banks. You know. Uh, but rather you have a democratic institution. I mean, nowadays you'd, you'd hear this like the MMT people, I think. I remember reading Trotsky You're in right. the transitional program. He was saying something like, you know, the, the state, the, the finance has to be statified or something. Um, and by that he meant you have a central bank, you like no interest loans. I mean, even Bernie Sanders was saying stuff. We need post postal banking. Like a post office should be a bank where you get no interest loans because that's all currency creation anyways. Like why should anyone make interest on that? Um, mm-hmm. It's not like banks lend out the deposits that people drop in there. That's the sort of popular misconception. I mean, this is how I hear it. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, you know, I agree with that to some extent. Um, credit in the hands of the state. So what, I think what people need to know is what part credit plays in a capitalist economy mm. um, in order to have some context to be able to evaluate uh, uh, this point. Um, right now, credit is determined by the market in the marketplace, and uh, or at least that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of, uh, speculation involved in the credit markets. Um, the whole 2008 uh, financial crisis was based upon uh, the misuse and uh, the abuse of credit uh, within the system. But that's ongoing. I mean, you have that crisis, and then several weeks later, they're back doing it again, only under a different name. Uh, I'm hearing that right now the uh, the debt crisis in, in the United States is worse than it was on the eve of 2008. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, we're supposedly in a, in a in a worse position than we were going into uh, uh, that financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Marx and Engels are, are have also experienced, I'm sure, uh, problems around credit and financial crashes. And I think they're trying to come up with a way of taking the power, the wealth Mm -hmm. out of the capitalist class and putting it in the people's hands and utilizing a central bank Mm -hmm. in order to have people decide Mm -hmm. democratically, uh, whether it's on a national level or regional level, uh, how that money is going to be used. Mm -hmm. How is the uh, assets in in the bank going to be used? And instead of using it for speculation and instead of using it to create these obtuse financial instruments that no one really understands, Mm -hmm. it's going to be used to help production. Mm -hmm. It's going to be used to increase the productive forces of society. Well, to be quite concrete, so the the word speculation gets used, but just to be quite concrete, like let's you have a financial institute, a private financial institution, it credits your account to a certain sum. You spend that money, which means that another account is credited to it. Uh, sorry, another account gets credited with that sum. 
and and did you have a corresponding debt? You have to pay that debt back with interest. So basically, you're paying them back more money so that they can just change numbers in your ledger balance. The question there is, so th that speculative profit, that non-productive uh, profit-seeking, it is like you know rentiers, like landlords. The the financier and the landlord are very similar in that you basically pay them for the right to use something. In the case of the landlord, it's the use of a piece of real estate. In the case of a financier, it's use of um, money. Money. But the question is, why why should that profit that sort of profit source exist, which drains on the productive capacities instead of say investing that money in production? So, I, I, I one way to read this is like regulation is not enough. You actually have to liquidate private finance capital. Yeah, it has to yeah. be public. I I think you're absolutely right, Daniel. I think that's that's the gist behind this. All right. So the next one is a little is is back to the sort of less obvious stuff. So central is number six: centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. This is uh, the second time the word state has happened. I'm starting to get nervous. What does this mean? Like Twitter well, and stuff. I think it, we're talking about distribution. Mm. Um, we have production, um, and how do you distribute the products? Uh, and we hear a lot today about uh, value chains and, sure. and you know productive chains worldwide. Um, so you know how do how do we how do we distribute the products and how do we distribute the profits and and how does that all come about? Well, you need a transportation system, especially in a continent-wide nation like the United States. Mm. Um, you need uh, some uh, some sort of transportation system that gets products from A to B so that those products can be sold mm -hmm. and profits realized and the money flows back mm -hmm. to the uh, producer. Um, communication is essential, uh, even more so now because of the financial uh, financialization mm -hmm. of the economy. And then you just said it, you know, I'll, I'm paying... 5% interest uh, so that one minion in the bank that holds my mortgage can press one key on a computer that says, okay, Tony's money from A mm -hmm. is now in B. Mm -hmm. And that money could have been spent in your local community employing someone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, so the communication piece, when we talk about the internet, we talk about business on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, we're talking about high-speed communications between financial institutions, uh, and that's a worldwide web. Mm -hmm. Money and capital goes wherever it wants to go on this globe. Yeah, so – goes. So sorry, go ahead. It, it goes there because it, we have the kinds of uh, communication system that we do. Mm -hmm. Well, markets are supposed to be information systems, but I guess today this would mean what? Telecommunications. Mm -hmm. Also, it occurred to me Amazon – all of mm. commercial and merchants' capital. Um, that's also kind of, I mean, it's necessary cost for realizing profits uh, uh, when industrial capitalists produce, you know, add to aggregate, you know, sum of real goods and services and produce value. It's actually value only if it's sold. So you need commercial capital and so forth. But I mean, what do they do? They buy something under its value and they sell it at its value and they sort of skim the difference. So, I mean, nationalize Amazon. Oh, absolutely. One of the first to do. I feel like there's a China connection here. Oh, um, I'm sorry. 
I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I was. I well, I I I I, I, I saw thought, you looking at your phone, but I thought yeah, no, he's yeah, definitely yeah. looking something up about China. No, 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 no. Well, I so I, I I I'm you know I'm I'm a teacher, so I feel bad if I had a citation and then I couldn't quite get it right. I want to make sure if if anybody wanted to look up this book. It's uh, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. That's the title of the book by Anthony Sutton, mm-hmm. uh, an American economist. Uh, originally, this book was originally published in 1974. I think it's in the public domain, though. It's available for free as a PDF online. Nice. Uh, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution by Anthony Sutton. So don't pay rents for intellectual property rights. Get it for free on the Internet. Yes, always. Um, Sorry about that. I was I was trying to tra- track down a source. You're forgiven. Okay. Um, number seven. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state, bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with the common plan. Hmm. What is this? The uh, collectivization. Is it? In the in the uh, in the in the. Uh, Late twenties and, and third early thirties, Soviet Union, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands. I don't know. I keep trying. I keep trying to draw, draw uh, mm-hmm. uh, comparisons. See, I, I can't. I can't but think of this as like a blueprint. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't but think of this as mm-hmm. like a br- blueprint. I keep trying to think about like pr- uh, uh, examples in history of governance mm-hmm. where the government in question actually, you know, was using this. Mm-hmm like their mm-hmm. political documents. And it's very funny. I don't know the different well, parallels. Chet, this is where your China comes in because China oh, is doing well, this. Yeah. Your China. The, is, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. China's doing this. China is uh, doing state factories and expanding state factories. As a matter of fact, the, they just reined in the uh, capitalist for profit uh, school tutoring and school, private school uh, folks. And, pretty much decimated that whole sector of industry oh, yeah. in their stock market uh, because they wanted to make sure that the state was doing it and the state's going to expand in there. It's interesting to, to think about China and where they are and how how they're trying to, to go about instituting socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, in some respects, it's it's an amazing story because someone had the idea of we can't even attempt socialism until we have the productive forces up there. And I think they learned that from the experience of the Soviet Union. And um, I'm getting astray here anyways. No, it's okay. Uh, Please. Well, this is, yeah, number seven. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're like, they're, they're doing this right now. They're bringing into cultivation of wastelands. Um, they call it you. You can look up YouTube videos of this online from Chinese state media. They call it de de desertification. They've literally re-equipped uh, fire trucks and fire hoses to spray uh, fertile soil mm-hmm. onto desert mountains. Mm-hmm. And you can you can watch these fire trucks on on uh, YouTube. I love fire trucks. Love yeah. them since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, and and and, <laughs> and sirens and and um, trains and. Um, and, and you, yeah, you can, you can watch them just spray this fertile soil onto mountains and then sort of see these time-lapse videos of mm-hmm. li- literally the, the, uh, bringing into cultivation, uh, what, what was uh, wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Oh, the improvement of the soil generally. Um, oh, by the way, Chet. Yes. 
Sutton also wrote a book called Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler. Um, <laughs> so you get your left wing and your right wing right there by the same author. From what I recall, uh, from what I recall, capitalists, oh, capitalists, go, no, capitalists are behind the Russian Revolution and they're also behind uh, the Nazism. Yeah. So Marx and Capital says capital plays on both sides at once. Yeah. Not just politics, but in every in every every aspect, every corner. Yeah, I want to. I want to be clear. Yeah, the, uh, from what I understand, he this is not a this is not an author of a Marxist persuasion. Um, but from what I understand, he's he's pretty prolific. Um, I think he was just a standard, you know, bourgeois uh, academic. Um, I forget what university he worked for. Anyway, um, you know, one way I hear this, one way I hear this in contemporary terms is, and I know that this word gets so abused that it's going to sound like bullshit. But hear me out. Um, extension of factories and instruments of production. Okay, that's that's like Marxian jargon, which is owned by the state. That sounds like serious um, technical infrastructure investment, not handouts to like insurance companies and so forth, like Obamacare, but like actually invest in the physical technical infrastructure of the country, uh, state institutions. Secondly, going back to the first point about Rontier's landlords, absentee owners, uh, bringing into cultivation wastelands, that means altering fundamentally the markets for agricultural products oh, yeah. and improving the soil generally. That means, you know, you own a piece of land, great, you can live there, but you you cannot uh, you cannot uh, get monopoly rents anymore uh, in, in accordance with the common plan. So, I mean, consider, for example, agriculture in the United States. Uh, agriculture is subsidized by the federal government to... to, to prop up an industry which would otherwise have been driven out of business by the operation of free global markets. So you keep all of these farmers in business. I mean, bless them. I understand if I were a farmer, I'd go with it too. Everyone's got to survive and you won't make your, you won't save the world by being a martyr. But I mean, what does it do globally? It keeps us producing corn below cost so that we can um, obliterate the development of other countries' uh, agriculture. Um, so, I mean, if you said, no, all, all land is going to be arable now, uh, then, I mean, it just seems like it would change. It would change the whole structure. And first of all, I'd get rid of landlords, and then you know, I don't know. Yeah, so you're. I'm you're, doing my best here. No, no, no. You're essentially you're connecting number seven back to number one. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder for those listening at home, number one, the abolition of property in land, and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Mm -hmm. Again, because the difference between land rent and industrial profit is so fundamentally different the latter is productive the former isn't well said mm, okay extension of number seven that we just read number seven uh, yeah we're on eight number eight it must be a glitch in my um in the matrix so equal number eight equal liability of all work of all to work of all to work you want to read it please please read it yeah uh, number eight, equal liability of all to work. Establishment of industrial armies. That sounds scary. <laughs> Especially for agriculture. America loves the army. An agricultural army? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Maybe like the Salvation Army. I don't know. Equal um, liability of all to work. Sounds like a federal jobs program. Mm. Equal liability of all to work essentially says... You can't sit at home doing nothing. Ah, oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. That's I read uh -huh. that as okay. saying everyone 
everyone has to work. Interesting. Everyone, everyone has to uh, build the uh, build the economy. No everyone passive income. To. So Marx and Engels supported forced labor. Is ooh, this what I'm hearing? Ooh, ooh. Well, you just can't well, win, you know, because it seems people trash socialists because they say you're looking for a handout. And then Marx says, no, everybody's got to work, meaning no passive income, no absentee owners. Uh -huh. And then it's like, oh, forced labor. Well, you know, damned if you do, you damned if you don't. You can't have it either way, huh? Man. That's give just a, the story well, of my well, life. Give a guy a break. In the sense of you, if you want to eat. Right. Right. Oh, he who, he who does not work, nor shall he eat. Who said that? First Thessalonians. Ooh, nice. But nice. you know, but you know who quoted that frequently in his in his speeches, and who also was a seminary seminary student before he turned revolutionary. I don't know. Joseph Stalin. Oh yeah. He who does not work, he who does not work, nor shall he eat. You know, this is interesting because I think the old left was all about work. Work was great, and the new left and post new left, it's like a bunch of like loafing layabouts it's like the yeah. the oscar wilde the oscar wilde socialism they 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 exist to prove milton friedman right like milton friedman in the 80s and you know kind of at the height of reaganism he used to do these these documentaries where he would go around to uh different parts of new york city and and talk to families and the the patriarch of the family he would say he would look into the camera imploringly and he would say you know um I uh, I was I was gainfully employed and I had this great job at, at such and such a factory and then um, uh, my family we we found out that I could make more money um, living on uh, the government's dole mm -hmm. so now I'm doing that mm -hmm. and but it's just it's really you know it's really eroding to my family because I'm I'm just at home all day and this is eroding to morale and the you welfare know, trap yeah and 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 Milton Friedman you know he'll turn and look into the camera my god like but the 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 this this new iteration of leftism that just plays into that right. whole thing they yeah they, yeah they they yeah. basically say like, like Milton Friedman's only wrong because of the moral perspectives he's taking toward this so this you're is, saying the contemporary leftists are a liability to the cause of socialism Oh yeah, I've been saying that for a minute. My goodness. But uh yeah. Okay, so okay, so then so in contemporary terms, no UBI. Guaranteed income are only you, wait, if, are you are you paraphrasing are you I'm paraphrasing bringing, number 8. You're bringing number 8 into the 21st century. Trying to. Okay. UBI no. Actually, you know the neoliberals liked UBI because then you just get rid of social security, just let people waste their check on whatever. Mm -hmm. So UBI no, federal jobs program yes. Mhm. Mm Income conditional upon performing work from to each to each according to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to do that in capitalism, anyways. Um, I think this is actually directed against capitalists. Like, you can't have income if you don't do something. Or directed against no, Rontiers. Yeah. No, you're right. Let's say. You're right. I think. Uh, yeah, I I think it is, but I think it's also in some ways directed against the lumpen proletariat. Ooh. Okay, please. Oh, yeah, as uh, well. Please elaborate. Interesting. Well, lumpen proletariat was a class that Marx and Engels briefly mentioned and didn't elaborate upon, but essentially they called them the scum of the earth, the uh, <laughs> you know the uh, the that's bottom not, layer. That's not very the, nice. Uh, the criminal uh, element, etc., uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, it was interesting because back in my heyday uh, in the '60s, uh, as a radical leftist, we contemplated. Uh, going to the lumpen proletariat for our 
uh, troops mm -hmm. to make the revolution because the working class was saying, get the fuck out of the factory. We don't want you here. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was obvious that we weren't going to convince the working class that we knew everything. Uh, so we thought uh, maybe we can convince the lumpen that we know everything. Mm -hmm. But that got then mixed up in race and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other issues. So um, uh, I don't even know where I started. On no, this. no, it's good. It does. <laughs> yeah. it, that washes out in the present quite well, because I feel like mm -hmm. the so-called left, the Democratic liberal establishment is basically a lump in PMC alliance. I'm not the first person to say this by any means. Oh, yeah. That's what oh, they yeah. that's what they wagered. Yep. No. No, I was agreeing. I um, mean, you, I feel like you're reading too much into my expressions. I don't. I, I have trying I have, to divine uh, your soul by the motions on your face. I was. I was. I was just agreeing. Um, there is a. If if you want me to add something, there is a a great uh, portrayal of of the dynamic between the proletariat and the lumpen proletariat um, in the uh, in the Eisenstein film uh, Strike. Which is in the public domain and I think can be found for free online. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Nice. You're right, Chet. Yep. What, great, great filmmaker. Actually, you know, the, the current discussion about sex work, I wonder if that, I mean, let's not do this, but let's really not. <laughs> but I mean, I feel this like is, this is why you want to bring more women on the pod. Uh, uh, no, I think that would fall into this uh, category. Okay. So, number Ooh. nine. Um, combination of agricultural with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of all the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the populace over the country between town and country by boom, 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 over the country. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Again, going for context here of when this was written, um, the countryside was a bastion of ignorance. Mm -hmm. uh, you got outside the cities and, you know, literacy within the cities in the 1840s was not super high, mm -hmm. but it was higher uh, by orders of magnitude than it was what was happening out in the countryside. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, Marx and Engels see this. They, they understand uh, the dilemma here. Mm -hmm. um, also, when you're talking about countries like France, Germany to a lesser extent, Russia, um, you know, proletariat made up five to 10% of the population. The overwhelming majority of the population lived in the countryside and were peasants and had a peasant culture and had peasant levels, which usually meant no levels mm -hmm. of uh, education, mm -hmm. uh, just minimum to allow you to work the land and work mm -hmm. your ass off mm -hmm. uh, for the landowner. So you could be exploited, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, they want to they equalize education and equalize opportunity throughout the country mm -hmm. so that there is no difference around opportunity mm -hmm. in the city, mm -hmm. given opportunity in the countryside. How they are going to do this is totally left unsaid. I mean, how do you, how do you bring people um, who are living in cities and move them out to the countryside? I think Cambodia tried to do that. It led to the Pol Pot. <laughs> Yikes. You know, it led to Pol Pot and, and all of that. Mao tried to uh, force um, uh, proletarian uh, organizers who were comfortable in the city and, and told them, get your asses out to the countryside. Mm. That's what they said Start. in the 60s, too, though, wasn't yeah. it? Like, get get mm -hmm. out to the country, going Wait, up who, the country. Who, well, part, who, of, who part of, yeah, uh, part of. Canned uh, Heat. The, I think it was Canned Heat. Yeah. Part who? of the. Uh, 
the uh, approach to the lumpen proletariat was around this idea of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's go to the ignorant, mm-hmm. let's go to the unprivileged, uneducated peasants, and, like Mao, you know, the peasants, you know. So uh, uh, I, I read some of that into this point. It's, inter- um, it's intersectional. Mm-hmm. What is? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying stupid shit. Uh, no. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You have something more. It has definitely something to do with your identity. That's right. Um, I I don't know how to. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the relationship between a rural and uh, urban and uh, rural regions is obviously p- relevant for political economy. In contemporary terms, I've often thought like, you know, if the federal government would quit subsidizing agriculture, um, the Republican voter base would economically dry up and people would be forced to migrate into cities and we would start importing corn from countries where the cost of production is lower and it's cheaper to produce obviously if we had free markets internationally if we were artificially holding those prices down through subsidies there would be no republican party voting base so so they know that i mean and they're republicans are basically socialists when it comes to agriculture so i mean marx talks about the idiocy of rural life and, and there's a way of making like it's more just if you can elevate the rural uh life but i mean uh, but also, it's like it's political. Um, I recently heard some remarks or some comments from someone in Ohio, uh, Julie, um, and um, some other people. They were saying, you know, in in their area in DSA, the people like the the secretary, the treasurer, um, the important people in the organization, they are workers. They're they are these people are um, like tow motor drivers. They are. You know they do they they're industrial workers, but you know in Chicago everyone in DSA, you know it's kind of a uh, how do I put it? How would you put it? Um, just like uh, it's, they're not hyper hyper educated. Yeah, PMC uh, PMC yeah, and yeah. so you you can't really have working class socialism in the urban areas because there's this flight from the rural areas. People people can't stand it. Um, so that's another thing that comes to mind: the town-country relation. If if we could, oh, as as applied to here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, if we could sort of uh, how do I say like massage that tension out of the relation between land and the city. I mean, politically, things could be much easier, don't you think? I mean, the estrangement even that goes on between rural people and urban people. It's a real deep massage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I mean, this is this is what Tony brought up earlier, but like the the sent down youth of the Cultural Revolution, like other countries have tried to resolve these these sort of uh, uh, contradictions in different ways. I mean, yeah, what, well, what do you should should we Daniel should you and I go get uh go get jobs on a farm? I mean, I part. I mean, my inner neoliberal says just let the free market do the work, and then that mm-hmm. this current town city and rural and urban conflict will just disappear because the population won't be able to be in the country anymore people will become urban yeah i mean for political reasons yeah. obviously don't want to do that because american global hegemony requires that we sell corn at an insanely priced cheap uh cheap price um i think the other piece here too is is the possibility of linking number nine back to number eight okay uh, where he says establishment of industrial armies, especially mm-hmm. for agriculture in number eight. And so how do we get people out to the countryside? We establish 
an industrial army. Mm. We recruit people mm-hmm. and we send them out into the countryside uh, around collective uh, agriculture. Jobs. And jobs, exactly. And so by doing that, by making the job center not be the city, but making the job center be out in the rural countryside, mm-hmm. then the hope is that attracts more people. Mm-hmm. It attracts population from the cities back out into the countryside. And then that equalizes the population pressures between rural and urban environments. You could start new cities. I think the capital of Brazil was built in the 20th century under a plan by a socialist. I can't remember. It's Brasilia. I can't remember the guy's name. Mm. But they just said, okay, we're going to go make make a city. I guess we could do that, um, like in Kansas somewhere. Number 10, we're at the end. Free education for all children in public schools, abolition of children's factory labor in its present form, combination of education with industrial production, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if we go by, if we go by number 10 alone, the, the U.S. is socialist. Is it not? Mm-hmm. Well, we got one off. No, the UN, U.S. has free public education. Is it not? <laughs> you know, I don't think we can jump to because Marx mentions it doesn't necessarily mean that particular thing is socialist. You, look, yeah. if, oh. you, if you're going to make that face, laugh into the microphone because no, it's just. I know. Oh, <laughs> well, I was about. <laughs> what oh, no, is I happening? Prom- <laughs> what is happening? I promise I was about to say a comment. No, I was just I was laughing at myself because I'm getting back into the like. We, this is the debate that we had at the beginning is, you know, is this a recipe for the cook shop of the future or what is it? And I'm just, I, I, I'm getting back into my, I, and this, this time I was doing it to make fun of myself, but I'm like treating it like a checklist, you know? Okay. So the U S we got to make it socialist. Number 10 check. We did it. <laughs> you know, it was just like, like I'm, I got a to-do Skip list. To the end, right? I got to do this by, by next Saturday. Check. check. Well, abolition of children's yeah. factory if labor you- is getting rid of cheap labor. I mean, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But you also have to ignore the whole charter school movement and, you know, the whole for-profit part of that. I worked in a for-profit charter Mm. school for five years, Mm. and I actually got stock bonuses uh, as an assistant principal. Uh, So, you know, uh, that's still out there. That's still looming out there. Uh, Republicans would love to see a return to – uh, federally funded uh, private schools, which is essentially what charter schools were intended to be. And, um, and just because we're an equal opportunity offender here, I want to make sure the Democrats get their due. Uh, they they supported ever since March 2020 overturning the public schools completely to private tech companies in Silicon Valley in the name of quote unquote public health. Mm, uh, my, my my students lost a year and a half, if not more, of education because virtual education never earned the latter part of its name. That was the doing of Democrats. So yeah, Democrats and Republicans. Also, Obama's secretary. Of education said that the Hurricane Katrina was the best thing that happened to the education system in New Orleans. Oh, right. Nice. Nice one. Yeah, over oversaw a lot of... Um, but I, I think it's important to say, though, like the, 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 the best times of American history as a sort of uh, country, I think, the, the like booming period in the 20th century was a strong republic where you had strong institutions... <laughs> And the free education was a part of the, the strength of, of it all because, you know, if you have to pay out of your pocket to teach your kids reading, writing, and arithmetic, that means your employer has to pay you more. 
That means cutting down on profits, which can be reinvested. That means less development of the productive forces. So there is, there is a tendency among capitalists to like be so hungry in their profit-seeking that they will actually... It's like a fire goes out because there's not enough oxygen. It actually burns up all the oxygen and puts itself out. And you know, if, if the state can pay for that through currency creation... That's a cost of production that capitalists can spare themselves. And then you can flourish industrially and economically. And that that's arguably why things were so good for so long. And, it, you know, but fuck it, I guess. Let's just pinch pennies. There are so many problems in public education right now. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> um, you know, one is, uh, and I work for superintendents who clearly said this, uh, let's close down all of the vocational components in a comprehensive high school. Let's make sure that every kid is going to college. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a jump away from the original intent of public education, mm-hmm. which was to make good workers. Right. Um, so, you know, um, there's that going on. There's the burden of making the school the center of emotional health. And uh, all kinds of social problem uh, resolution um, uh, beyond the pale of, of uh, strictly speaking, education, mm-hmm. yet not giving oh, yeah. the resources or allocating the resources if those resources are available. Superintendents are loathe uh, to open up, a, for instance, a clinic in uh, unused classrooms in a neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not do that? Why not uh, give the neighborhood a uh, uh, a cultural, medical, uh, supportive place for them to be. Um, so, you know, you take a look at Portland public schools. I think uh, the uh, administrative overhead is amazing how much, uh, how many people are, are just sitting in desks uh, trying to uh, protect their uh, little uh, niche of territory mm-hmm. within the administration building. Oh, yeah, uh, I believe it. You know, it's just... It, those are those are problems that are not unique to any one city. Um, they're problems uh, all across the uh, education spectrum. Um, and, uh, you know, the combination of education with industrial production, I'm not sure I understand what he meant by that. Mm. I don't know if you guys have some insight. There. Well, I don't know if I know what he meant by it, but some things come to mind. I don't know, Chad, what do you think? Wait, what? <laughs> You were doing a preamble like you were about to say something. Oh no, you were going to say something. I guess I mean I I could I could try. I mean yeah, I would I would do the same thing that I think you were about to do would just be to to guess or um gosh, I mean I don't I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh yeah, I mean I could I, I mean I could always go back to China. Do you want me to give an example? Whatever you want. Okay, all right, all right. So, uh 1990s um this is a a dramatization I'm watching. Uh, a recent CCTV drama that's available on uh, on YouTube in full with English subtitles called Minning Town, M I N N I N G, uh, Town T O W N, and um, it's about uh, attempts at poverty alleviation um, in 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 Western uh, rural uh, China near near the Gobi Desert, um, and and one. One thing they they tried they they had they had very limited education systems out there in the nineties, um, and uh, so you know like kids were I don't know maybe like what what we might call K through five mm-hmm. is is what they got before they had to go to work in the fields, 
And um, what what uh, the government started doing was getting an initiative going. Uh, oh, now we're back to uh, wait. Which one is it? Uh, which point are we at? The transportation. Oh no! Now we're back to number six. So the government uh, gets these gets these buses out there, mm-hmm. and they they bus these um, uh, older teenagers um, out from the fields to a factory um, in in a, in a nearby uh, urban area city. And uh, they're they're working in these factories. They're building um, chips and different things for electronic equipment. And uh, simultaneously, they're able to send money back home to the rural village, which is then able to uh, improve the quality of its school mm-hmm. and expand its education mm-hmm. uh, in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, I don't know. That was just a combination of education with industrial mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. That's good observation, Chip. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's a... Uh, but I mean, it's pretty vague. It's hard to say what he has <laughs> right. in mind this here. Is, this is complete. This is complete. This uh, is like speculation of just humanity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's the biggest of the ten points. This uh, clause, beginning with combinations of education and industrial production, followed by et cetera, et cetera. Well, one one thought is one thought is especially relating it to the present time. I mean, one thought is okay. So we need a healthy economy in order to have a happy, flourishing. Well, we need a flourishing economy in order to have a healthy, happy society. And I mean, think about it now. Everyone's encouraged to go to university because of this PMC ethos, like prestige, pride, awards. Uh, you know, it's not important so much to make yourself independent through your work as it is to like be intelligent. And so everyone is supposed to have like four degrees or whatever, but no one knows how to do anything. That's not good for the economy, actually. And then if the economy doesn't work well, then <laughs> no. society then society can't be healthier. I mean, this is fucking obvious what I'm saying, but I mean, mm-hmm. you could have... To more and more people, it's becoming obvious. Public education, which is paid for uh, through, uh, you know, credit creation by the state, you know, it's you, you don't, it doesn't have to come out of capitalists don't have to raise workers wages to pay for it so it's not putting a drain on development um Wait, what, what is it you're talking about now well you have public you let's say okay in many countries in the world you have federal university system we don't have that but we but we have public schools and and we do have a sort of federal infrastructure and we could you could have an education system which is administered and taken care of by the state with lower costs right. of production so that so that so that Capitalists don't have to pay families to pay for private schools. Right, right. And then you have education. And in that education, people acquire the actual skills at that time in the economy needed. So, for instance, if the, so I was thinking when you're telling the story about agriculture in China, I thought, my God, these poor people, like, I, maybe I'm PMC about this, but like, we're not the technology only a little bit better. No one should have to do agricultural work in the fields. Like we should be, you know, hopefully someday we'll be developed to the point where a human being doesn't have to do that anymore. Right. But at a given point, maybe you do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so people need to learn how to do that. Right. So that's what I see in this. Like we need an education system administered by the state so that it isn't an unproductive drain on economic development. And moreover, the education needs to be the kind of education that a person needs to have the kind of skills that you need to make the fucking economy work. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder how... And those, oh, go ahead. That skill set is going to depend on the state of the economy at Precisely. any given uh, moment Precisely. in terms of what the needs are, um, where we have to divert folks to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more computer coders. Mm-hmm. Computer coding is going to be offered and maybe even mandated in the public school system. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, do we need more? Sure. Uh, Why not? I know, to, whatever it might be. I had to take a language. I took French and Latin. I, I might as well have taken coding. Mm. You know? Yeah. You're, you're saying like uh, in, in, a, in a socialist in a in a theoretically socialist society, this would be a well. In in see, that's the thing. I hesitate to make that point because even like a wisely conducted capitalist society, which is developing the productive forces, it would be that. Because what what I what I see right now, and this is just from my very limited perspective in the K through twelve public schools, mm-hmm. um, just anecdotally, what I see is some some Silicon Valley billionaire mm-hmm. will be you know tossing out grants. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll, they'll give us a bunch of laptops and they have embedded these, um, you know, uh, very elementary uh, teach you to code mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. applications mm-hmm. on these laptops. And kids from a very early age, I've got a uh, when, when like when I was a kindergarten teacher, yes, <laughs> kindergarten, I had to take them upstairs to the computer lab. Which was provided by these grants from Silicon Valley, and they had to start learning how to code. Mm-hmm. And w- what I just see that is is the the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, sure. the Jeff Bezos. Sure. They're just preparing uh, to have more, uh, a, sure. a labor force. They don't want they don't want to deal with these Stanford kids like they well, used to deal with, who would be like, "You better pay me X amount or else." But where do you draw the line? I mean, they are trying to make cheap labor for their industry, but where do you draw the line? Because I mean, either they need workers who they can exploit with those skills. Or any any economy, any like in socialism, there's still going to be a, an economy. There's still going to be a society. Mm-hmm. If feudalism had an economy and a society, there's always going to be an economy and society. People are always going to have to do stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays, I think the left and socialists they like to act like we could all have an MFA in poetry, right? And that's freedom, and that's that's you know that's oh uh, know, uh, uh, fully but, fully automated luxury communism, right? But that's no, the, people got to do stuff, and so you know, we might have to do something you don't like. What I meant by coding in school, maybe not coding, but like. I don't know. Like I could have learned how com- you know how to how to do stuff with computers. All I know how to do is work Word, basically. They could have taught us something around personal finance. Oh yeah, they, we have. They, a, yeah, you know, could have taught us some survival skills. You know, uh, could have taught us uh, how how do you rent an apartment. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff out there uh, that we set kids loose, and they don't know squat about actual living how to live in oh, this yeah. world yeah mm-hmm. you know what i need to do, what i need to get through the day to, and so, to make a cv to make a resume yeah, no, but, yeah, yeah. yeah my yeah. my friend uh my friend mike who i shouted out earlier uh he he works for a community college system doing just this he's the liaison for uh students who are um first generation college students who are, are coming in as mm-hmm. as, uh, mm-hmm. as first years as freshmen and they don't they don't know anything about any of this mm-hmm. stuff they didn't have like my, my dad my dad is a uh, he's a college professor Oh my God! It, <laughs> applying to college was was very easy mm-hmm. and, and and simple, and mm-hmm. get, and getting into college and integrating to campus life was so easy. Mm-hmm. My dad's office was was a block away from my dorm room. Um, but many higher institutions of learning have to do remedial work because of the way yes. the public institutions are. Yeah, I just this applied is, for a position as a uh, coach at uh, Portland uh, um, Community College, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, they're looking for coaches because the folks coming into the community college mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. are have these deficits, these skills deficits. Uh, it's just not being addressed at the elementary school or the secondary school levels. Right. And when, uh, 
when you when you say coach for context, you you mean like a like a life skills coach, not like a sports. No, no, not coach. a sports coach. Right, uh, right. Academic coach, actually. Yep. And I I would I would include life skills even if the job description doesn't say so. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, you know, and I'm not the only one. I I think they had three openings that they were uh, advertising for. So uh, you know, we're not doing a good job at the elementary level, we're not doing a good job at the secondary level and it's showing up mm-hmm. at the college level. But it wasn't always this way, the three R's, when that oh. became a thing. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, America ascended globally for a lot of reasons, many of which are, you know, sort of ugly. But um, that was one That was one that was good. If everyone can read, write, and do basic mathematical operations, you have that, you know, it's not a coincidence, you know, they're just, the Bolsheviks take power and they're like, hmm, we need universal literacy like now. And Boom. So, so, yeah. I mean, this stuff is important. Okay, so we're at an hour and a half. I'm going to do final round. I'm going to start with myself, general reflections. Um, so I just want to say about these 10 points, um, maybe there's something on there. It's like a Christmas wish list, something on there you wish you would have gotten. It wasn't on there. You know that face you make when you don't get it. Or maybe you could get something out of it. I don't know. But um, I... Um, <laughs> what are you? <laughs> Dude, I think Daniel suspects someone's breaking into his house. No, no, no. Somebody just checked the mail, you know. I'm just saying hi, good neighbor. So, um, <laughs> sure. What I want to say about these ten points is, I'm blown away about how I said this at the beginning. It's all couched in political economy. If each one of these points were taken as a as a as an action plan, I mean, they're not sequential. Obviously, <laughs> it's not like you wait for the last one. I mean, I don't know which one should be first and stuff. But like each one of these is a gain for the working class, makes them stronger, makes life better. But on the other hand, the same the same stroke. It's a strike against the opponent, and you can never be okay as long as your opponent's in the field. And so I think this is great, and I wish, I mean, change the list, right? But but maybe don't get rid of the stuff about landlords and stuff. But um, we should be thinking like this. No one thinks like this. When I hear what leftists say, they're like, depopulate North America, just like crazy shit. Just crazy, crazy shit. And this is like, no... Uh, you know, nowadays it might be Medicare for all. If you do Medicare for all, okay, everyone gets medicine. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. But, but you've also destroyed the insurance, parasitic insurance companies and uh, pharmaceutical companies and so forth. So that's... All, the, I, all, all again, in this context, so I mean, as a last next. minute, yeah. All, all again, final def, thoughts. Defend, yeah, the final thoughts, I'll defend the leftists again in this context because you're, 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 you're picking extreme examples of like the, you know, the, the, the settlers types, the, the Jay Sakai types and all that. But, but leftists... Turtle talk, Island. Yeah, leftists talk about these points all the time. I mean, that, like I said, this just looks like a... A Twitter thread from a blue check leftist. They talk about this but stuff. They all don't the time. know enough about political economy to raise half of these points. They, I mean, yeah, they don't really know what these things are. You know, it, it's it's. I'm sorry, but they don't. Like they would and say they, that Marx had backwards views about gender because he's not even talking about it on here. Whereas that's actually right. the point to change the material reality because all that other stuff changes when society changes. Like, right, hmm. right. No, I mean, am I just being... Well, I'll just be honest. I mean, this has sort of been with the entire podcast I've been going on about. I mean, I'm not sure I am not sure I understand most of these, mostly because I don't see them, see them manifested materially, obviously. Um, or at, at least I don't understand, you know, how we, how we get here. But. So what's missing on there that you want to see? Oh, was, was that your, was no, that no, your question? No, no, just final thoughts. Just okay. Of- what's, what's missing on the, on the 10 points? Um, I mean, so the 11th thesis, what would your 11th be? Oh, 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, free pizza. How do you, free how, pizza? Do you how do you get the uh, how do you get the free stuff uh, fund fundraising strategies? How do you get the money? Wall Street and the and the Bolsheviks. How do you get the money to pull this off? Uh, yeah, banks <clears throat> at so, the point of a gun. Rob, oh right, right, right yeah. rob the banks. Bonnie and Clyde. No, Dan, Dan, Daniel and Clyde. Daniel and Chet. Stalin, one of the reasons Stalin was so high in the hierarchy of the Bolsheviks is he brought in the cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was an excellent fundraiser. He was an excellent fundraiser. He would go into the Minsk National Bank and say, we need money for the socialist cause. Empty out your uh, coffers. And he'd bring the money uh, directly to Lenin and put it on his desk and say, here's... Use this for whatever you need to use it for. Getting getting that that's that's that would be my eleventh thesis is how do you how do you how do you bankroll the revolution? You know, like Trotsky, yeah, like uh, the the bank Stalin's bank robbing. Trotsky went to Wall Street and glad handed the high rollers. Um, he he Trotsky and Lenin pitted. Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, the, the capitalists wanted the czarists gone for their reason. Trotsky wanted the czars gone for his reasons. Who, who are, who are the groups of elites today that we need to pit against each other? That's well, I, I would say, I would say the problem is that they're no longer in this country by and large, but if you, but industrial capitalists could be pitted against unproductive rentiers, the fire sector. Ah, now we're cooking with fi gas. Fi yes, finance, insurance, yes. and real estate. Warren Buffett actually said this. I saw a video yes, Warren Buffett was saying I, I there's a hundred cents on every dollar and every, every year insurance and pharmaceutical companies get another penny. And once they have a hundred, there's no more to have, right? And so they get more and more, and that means everyone else gets less and less, and companies can't afford to do this. And that's why they send jobs abroad and so on and so forth. Okay, this is rich coming from him because he's a fire sector parasite himself. But the point is just that capitalists know. Yes. And industrial capitalists above all. Yes. I mean, what, what somebody's going to say, I'm like a petty bourgeois reactionary. Uh, what is it? Um, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, Hitler. No. No. Um, in the 1848, uh, Bonaparte, Bonapartism, like some, you oh, some class yeah. alliance between industrial capitalists and workers. Yes. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe like if you're saying pit who against who, yes. the fire sector is not the friend of the industrial capitalist. Yes. They are not friends. Just saying. That's the, that would be, that would be my 11th uh, th what thesis. All right. Tony, final thoughts? Sign us off. Yeah. Uh, again, I go back to the historical context for understanding the 10 points. But also, I think you can bring them forward to our present uh, situation. And that we should be talking about these kind of reforms. We shouldn't be talking about, uh, you know, uh, identity politics, we shouldn't be talking about, look, race and gender discrimination, these are serious issues. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not, and we have to address them as a society. Um, but the fundamental issue that gives a fertile ground for racism and uh, patriarchy and all of the other kinds of things that we're diverting away from, what gives the base for those to be able to exist is class and is the economic system 
that we're living under. If we address the root cause uh, and we go to the uh, to the basic uh, problems of the economy and of who runs the nation and under what circumstances, then we're going to be in a better, much better position to deal with these other issues. Uh, if we try to deal with the other issues without addressing class, without addressing political economy, uh, then all we're doing is making things more equal for capitalist exploitation. And um, we'll never get there because capitalists see the benefit in keeping men and women uh, separated and keeping white people and brown people and black people at each other's throats. There's a tremendous benefit uh, to the ruling class for doing that. And uh, the more we get diverted into those aspects, uh, and I'm not saying we should be silent about them, but uh, we should prioritize. And the priority has to be around political uh, economy. It has to be right there, what Marx was talking about throughout his career and into capital. And I see these 10, I see these 10 points as uh, uh, steps in that process.